Well, last time we looked at the character of Job, his, his character, as he explained it to us, um, as he looked back on his life prior to all the trials and tribulations that he went through. Uh, but it wasn't just his own, own account that it tells us what a righteous man he was, because God tells us that also that he was a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. In fact, there was no one like him on earth. God said that. But we have seen as we've gone through the book that in his suffering and sorrow, and it was great suffering and sorrow. You you remember he lost everything, basically. He lost his possessions. He lost his children. He lost his reputation. He lost his health. And probably the thing that bothered him the most was the fact that he felt like he'd lost his communion with God. So it was a terrible suffering and sorrow. And as those things wore on day after day, with no explanation. He couldn't figure it out. The only explanation he got was from his friends, and they said, it's because you've sinned so much. It must be because you've sinned so greatly that all this uh, terrible trial has come upon you. Well, as all all that went on and on in his life, we see that he did waver between times of hope in times of hopelessness, between feeling like God has forsaken him and trusting God. There was a a real vacillation in his life through this time period. And uh, he actually wavered between reverence for God and finding fault with God. We said that his confidence in him being a righteous person at times became an overconfidence in his righteousness and became what we would call a self-righteous attitude. And in his pain and sorrow, he made some rash statements. He even acknowledged that, that he spoke some things that were rash and foolish statements about God. He said things like God seems to be arbitrary in the way he deals with people. It really doesn't matter how you live. He said that God is not just in some of his ways. At least it seemed to Job that way. And those were things that were not proper were not godly statements even in the midst of one in uh, in great trial they were things that he should not have said Um, we ended last time with chapter 31 where Job maintains his integrity in spite of all that his friends have said to him their arguments he knew their arguments were wrong 
that this had all come upon him because of, of his sin. And he wasn't going to let go with that. He knew that suffering was not always punishment for personal sin. He said it over and over that the wicked sometimes prosper and the righteous sometimes suffer. He said, just look around. All you guys have to do is look around and you'll see that what you're saying isn't right. People often don't get what they deserve, either for good or bad. So their arguments didn't hold water. And after all the the back and forth, and there's chapter after chapter of this, uh, argumentation between Job and these friends, they apparently give up. He has a long section where he speaks, and when he's done, nobody says anything, at least of these three friends. And where, where we ended last time, it just says this. Um, if you're in chapter 31, the last part of the last verse says, The words of Job are ended. After he maintained his integrity and said, You know, I'd be glad if you want to write up an indictment against me, uh, it's not going to hold water. I can carry whatever you say right before God and, and I'll be vindicated. Uh, so they just give up. Um, their arguments have failed. And uh, the problem is, even, even though Job won his argument with these three friends, uh, he doesn't have any answer yet to why he's going through what he's going through. He's not answered his own question of why he, as a righteous man, is going through such great suffering. He's maintained his integrity, but he's no answer as to why all this has happened to him. His only answer is, God must be my enemy. God must be against me. So that's kind of where we've come to. course we have the insight that Job didn't have we have the insight that his friends didn't have and that is in the first two chapters of Job uh, we have information that they didn't have that there were things going on between God and Satan of which Job and the friends were unaware you remember the situation there that prior to all of Job's calamity Satan had said that Job serves God because because God's given him such a good life. God's made it so good for him, so easy for him, of course he's going to serve God. But if God would take that hedge away that's protecting Job, uh, take those things away, he would curse God right to his face. That's what Satan said anyway. Well, we've seen that Job doesn't curse God. He does curse the day that he was born. He wished he'd never been born. It got so bad for him. But he doesn't curse God. He does complain against God, but he never curses him or turns away from God. In fact, what you really see is a man longing for God, even in the midst of all his complaints and things that he shouldn't have said. He's still longing for communion with God, for God to speak to him, for God to to, uh, be back in his life the way he had been in the past. So, 
um, that's the, the situation. And when we come to Chapter 32, we're actually entering into a, a, a new realm or new, new area here uh, of the book. The, the reason I say that is because, if you remember, I said that all this dialogue uh, and argumentation between Job and his friends have, were written in the original language in a poetic form. But here you have a little section that's back in prose. If you're in, 30, if you're in chapter 32, verses 1 through 6 are a little prose introduction. So you know you're, you're dealing with something different here. And the thing that's different is we've got a new person, a new player coming on the stage, you might say, that we haven't had anything told us about, even in the introduction to the book. Here's a guy just, you might say, out of the blue. What he was was a bystander, someone that was listening to all this that was going on, all that's being said, and analyzing it. And so now he's going to speak up. And when he speaks up, he, doesn't, he has quite a lot to say. He speaks for six chapters. And uh, it is different. Some, some commentators say there's really not much different between what this man, Elihu, that's who we're talking about here, what he has to say and what the friends have said. But I, I think they're just wrong in that. This is, this is something new, something different. There's, more, there's insight here that hasn't been presented yet by the, the three friends. So... You have in these chapters here, uh, in the next six chapters, a, a person who says that he's held off because he's younger. He's listened, but he's younger than everyone else. But he's going to uh, speak up and, I believe, br- bring some insight for Job that he hadn't heard from these other friends. And he's actually somewhat of a forerunner to God speaking to Job directly. It's like God had him there as a preparation, kind of like John the Baptist and Jesus. Elihu is there preparing the way for God himself to speak uh, to Job. Well, uh, there's a there's a number of other reasons besides the fact that this starts out with a little prose section, but there's a number of other reasons why I think we have to recognize that something uh, different and more profound is being said here by Elihu. And let me just uh, enumerate those reasons to you. First of all, <clears throat> after this man speaks for six chapters, Job doesn't say anything. Job's silent. Now, Job was never silent before. When those other men spoke, he always had something to say when they were done to counter what they said. He doesn't do this. Job doesn't do it. It's like he recognizes, I just heard something that sounds right. I just heard something that I I can't argue against. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that he, he does treat Job with more courtesy and sensitivity. Though he tells him where he believes he's wrong, he does it in a much kinder and, and more courteous way than the previous uh, men had uh, treated him. And then third, he claims a different source of, of uh, a different 
reason and source for what he's saying. These other men uh, said, well, you know, experience has taught us this. Elihu says, God's taught me something, and I want to share it with you. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm sharing from spiritual revelation, not just my personal experience. We'll see that here in a minute. But the most important thing uh, that I would say shows that there's something different here is that in the concluding chapters of the, of the book of Job, he is not rebuked like the three friends are. The free, the free, free, three friends. I'll do something like that about every time. So he's, uh, anyway, those friends, three of them, are all rebuked by God for the way they treated Job and what what they said to him. That does not happen with Elihu. He's not, he's not uh, told to go to Job and, and ask Job to pray for him or anything like that. So that shows there's something, I believe, there's something quite different here. Again, I think, it, I think that God was using Elihu to pay the way for God's direct dealings with Job. So he's not just another person trying to correct Job with wrong theology, but a real messenger from God to Job to help him and prepare the way for God to speak. So what I want to do is we'll just start in here in this new section and read through some of it and briefly comment on it, and we'll just go till we get tired. And if you're tired already, you could pinch yourself or you could pray. Praying would be preferable. Ask God to uh, help you get whatever he would want you to have from this time here. So maybe maybe before the, we just start reading, though, let me just give you a little summary of what I think we're going to see that might help you to kind of uh, see some of these things as we go along. Um, Elihu does not like what the three friends have told Job. And he lets them know that very plainly. Uh, he said they were wrong in the way they've tried to explain Job's suffering, saying that it was God punishing him for his past sin. So Elihu goes on to show that a righteous person can suffer because uh, of other reasons besides sin. They can suffer, for instance, to prevent sin. It's not just a punishment for sin that brings forth suffering. And Elihu is showing that to these guys and to Job himself. Uh, God can use suffering to refine the righteous. Now, that's a new argument, you see. That hasn't been there before. Elihu shows that God sometimes afflicts the body for the good of the soul. I thought of that um, proverb, I think it's Proverbs 27, 6, where it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Well, we don't have any friend greater than God. And his wounds are always faithful. There, there's a reason he's doing that, and it's for our good. If we're, if we're his children, he only afflicts for our good. That was something that was a new 
realm here that that Job hadn't heard before, and it was uh, very helpful to him, I believe, and helped prepare him for what God was going to show him. Uh, so, he, so Elihu speaks against out against what he saw as wrong from the three friends, but he also speaks against Job, Job's later attitude in the midst of his suffering, because he saw that Job was saying or implying and actually sometimes actually saying that God was not righteous in his dealings, that he was unjust, and he questioned the goodness of God. And Elihu was not going to let that go by. In fact, he says, I kept quiet all this time, but I'm about ready to burst (laughs) because I can't listen to this kind of stuff when someone who is a righteous person is saying those kind of things about God. You know, it's one thing for a, a, a person that's recognized as wicked to say that kind of stuff, but for a righteous person to say that type of thing is doubly bad. So he has things to say to both these three friends and to Job himself. And basically, um, he has, Elihu deals with Job in these two areas, saying that God is mistreating him and saying that God just won't answer him. He's saying, God's not mistreating you and God is answering you. And so we'll see those things here. Well, just uh, just to say that uh, even though he was maintaining his righteousness, in the midst of maintaining his righteousness, he went too far and began to question God's righteousness. He was maintaining his integrity at the expense of questioning God's integrity. And you know that is wrong. And so Elihu was not going to put up with that. It's arrogant, foolish, and sinful to tell God that he's not running his universe properly. Well, let's let's dig in here and, and we'll just we'll go till we stop. Um, verse one of chapter thirty two. Then these three men ceased answering Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. But the anger of Elihu the son of Barakal, the Buzzite, of the family of Ram burned, because Job against Job his anger burned, because he justified himself before God. And his anger burned against his three friends because they had not found had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. So Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzzite, spoke out and said, I am young in years and you are old. Therefore I was shy and afraid to tell you what I what I think. I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. Now, there's a couple of commendable qualities right there. You know, there's a sense of propriety. You should let these other men speak first. There's also that 
basic principle that we see, especially in the New Testament, that we should be slow to speak. He, he waited. He waited a long time. If you think all, these, all this conversation that's gone on between Job and these men. So he was commendable in that. But then he says this, verse 8, But it is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty that gives understanding. What's he saying? He's saying it's not just the fact that somebody's older. In fact, he goes on, The abundant in years may not be wise, nor may elders understand justice. Just because you're older doesn't make you any wiser. You might, be, uh, you might have more knowledge because of all the things you've learned throughout your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have any more wisdom, especially spiritual wisdom. That comes from what he's talking about up above. The spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives understanding. In other words, what he's saying is, we need, you need to listen, as Tozer says, you need to listen to the man that listens to God. You need to listen to the person that listens to God. Not just, it, it might be a young person. They might have something that God has shown them, and you need to listen to that. It might be an old person. Age is not the criteria. It's whether God has shown somebody something. And Elihu believed that God had shown him some things as he's listened to these men. So I say, listen to me. I, too, will tell you what I think. Behold, I waited for your words and listened for your reasons, reasons, reasonings. While you, were, while you pondered what to say, I even paid close attention to you. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job, not one of you who answered his words. So he said, I listened closely. So he was, you know, very attentive to this conversation that had gone on. And he, he waited until it was the proper time, and then he spoke up. And he knew that no one had really given a proper answer to what Job was saying. Then he says, Do not say we have found wisdom. God will rout him, not man. In other words, I think he's, he's saying, Now don't tell me just because you couldn't answer him that I shouldn't say anything. For he has not arranged his words against me, nor will I reply to him with your arguments. He said, I'm, I'm not, he's not been arguing against me, and I'm not going to go at him with your arguments. I've got something different to say here. Well, I think we'll skip uh, 15 through 22. Basically, he says, i, I got to speak. This is something that's really burning within me. I believe God wants me to say something here, and I'm going to say it, and I'm not going to flatter uh, I'm not that type of person. I'm not partial to anyone. I'm just going to say what I believe God's shown me to say. So, if you skip over to chapter 33 then. However, now he's, he's addressing Job. However, now, Job, please hear my speech. So there's a bit of politeness in that. Listen to all my words. Behold, now I open my mouth. My tongue in my mouth speaks. My words are from the uprightness of my heart and my lips speak knowledge sincerely so I'm going to tell you the truth I'm going to tell you what's on my heart the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives life to me refute me if you can array yourself before me take your stand and then he says this now behold I, be I think this is really a, a, a really good thing 
in terms of uh, just showing I'm not coming from a superior attitude. Behold, I belong to God like you. I too have been formed out of the clay. Behold, no fear of me should terrify you, nor should my pressure weigh heavy upon you. In other words, uh, we're, we're just, both of us are creatures of God. God's made me, God's made you. I don't come with any uh, superiority. I don't consider you inferior, which is the way his friends treated him some, sometimes. So here we are, and I'm just sharing what God's shown me. And so verse 8, Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words. And So he says, Now here's what I've heard you say, Job. I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no guilt in me. Behold, he, that is God, invents pretexts against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. So he says, that, uh, what I hear you saying is that you're, you're righteous and God's treating you bad. <laughs> and that's what Job has been saying. Behold, let me tell you, you are not right in this. For God is greater than man. He said, listen, what you're saying can't be right because God doesn't deal with people that way. God doesn't mistreat people. You're saying God's mistreating you, and God doesn't do that. People are like that, but God's greater than man. He doesn't deal with people that way. God is not, you're saying God's unjust. God's great. Yeah, people are unjust, but God's greater than man. He's not like that. What you're saying is not right. Why do you complain against him that he does not give an account of all his, his dealings? Okay, so here's a, another thing he's saying. Another thing you're saying, Job, you're saying God won't answer you. You're, you're, you're complaining about God not answering you and giving you an account of all his dealings. Well, he has a couple answers to that. But part of it is, God is talking to you. Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. Now, let me just preface this by saying, you get to realize when you're dealing with the book of Job, you're dealing with an, a, an event, a historical event, that took place before the scriptures were written. Now, it's become part of Scripture in the book now, but at that time, the Scriptures, the Old and New Testament, were not written, so God was speaking to people in different ways. But he says, Job, it's not right to say that God's not telling you anything. Or, uh, and here's some of the reasons that I take that position, that, that uh, Elihu says that. He says, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. In a dream... A vision of the night when sound sleep falls on man while they slumber in their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction that he may turn men aside from their conduct and keep men from pride. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from passing over into shield. So he's saying one way that God speaks to people is through dreams and visions. And uh, this was a, a... prominent way that God was communicating truth to people in this time. Now, we don't think of that too much, but it still goes on today. 
In fact, you hear these kind of accounts, especially in, in situations uh, where there's great persecution and suppression of the scriptures and suppression of Christianity, especially in the Islamic world. There's lots of reports coming out of God speaking to people in dreams. And what Elihu is saying is that's one way God can speak to you. And so don't forget that. And, and God does that to keep your soul from destruction. Keep back your soul from the pit. In other words, it's a means it's, it's a means of God's goodness and grace to people to do that. Now, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think that I've had very many dreams that fit into that category. There may be one or two that I uh, think fit the description of a true spiritual uh, dream. But uh, we can't discount that. And in this time, in the stage of revelation that, that uh, we're talking about here, this was something that Elihu could point to. But he goes on to another. Uh, let's go on here to verse 19. God is also, man is also chastened with pain in his bed. So he's saying here's another way that God speaks to people, and that's through pain. And with unceasing complaint in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his soul and his soul favorite food. His flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones which are not seen stick out. Then his soul draws near to the pit, and his life to those who bring death. So what's he saying there? He's saying God often speaks through chastening, through pain, through difficulties. And this description that he gives here is very much a description of what Job was sensing and experiencing life loathing bread um, uh, flesh wasting away bones sticking out that Job says that very thing about himself well, what he's saying there is that Job this is God speaking to you and you're not realizing it God's saying something he's teaching something here um, I wanted to read a quote from C.S. Lewis He said, uh, We can rest contentedly in our sins and our stupidities. And he's saying that as long as things are going okay, we can rest quite contentedly in our sins and our stupidity. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. So he's saying this is one way God can get our attention when, when he wants to speak to us, send some affliction. And that's what uh, Elihu is saying. And then he goes on. Well, let me, just, let me just say this here, too, in relationship to this area. Uh, I can testify of just the fact that when... When you feel like you could possibly be dying, your priorities change. And the things that seemed important, like you needed to get this or that done, don't seem so important anymore. And things, at least for a person that's 
aware of God and aware of, uh, you know, their relationship with God, the thing that matters in those times is Christ and what is my relationship with God. God uses, sometimes uses those things to bring us back to reality, to bring us back to the things that matter. Uh, our value system changes. It shouldn't. I mean, I, I mean, we shouldn't be in it. We, it should be that we're just going along and sickness just keeps us in the same relationship with God as health. But unfortunately, at least I can say for my from my standpoint, that's not always the case, and there's been times when I know, I really at least feel like God has used affliction, physical affliction, to help me see, again, my need for being right with God and my uh, need for Christ. So, anyway, I think that's part of what Elihu's saying here. This is a way God speaks to us. This is a way that he uses and don't, he's saying, don't miss this, Job, in the midst of your affliction. The fact You're saying God's not speaking to you. I'm saying he's yelling at you. Uh, and then 30, uh, 23. If there is an angel as mediator for him, one out of a thousand, to remind him of what is right for him, then let him be gracious to him and say, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresher than the youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then he will pray to God and he will accept him, that he may see his face with joy and he may restore his righteousness to man. Um, This is a hard section to know exactly how to interpret. Uh, First of all, some commentators, instead of having the word angel there, have the word messenger. And... So they're saying in the midst of the affliction and pain, God will send a messenger, someone to help you understand what's going on. Some people say that Elihu was that messenger for Job to help him understand this chastening and the difficulties that he's going through. Other people say, well, he is talking about an angel because back in this time, that's one of the ways that God, another one of the ways that God spoke to people and gave them insight into what, his will was for him. Besides this thing of, of dreams and visions, God would send a visitation from an angel to speak to him. And then we see that in the Old Testament. Uh, and then th- there are others that say that this really is a an example of what God does in Christ for people, even back in the Old Testament time, that he, he would show them that they needed a mediator and one who would come and be a ransom. It talks about a ransom. Uh, I, I found a ransom. In other words, uh, it's somewhat of a, a, uh, a prophetic thing related to the work of Christ. So it's a hard section to, to understand for sure, and I, I don't know which way to take it. But um, what we can say is that Elihu is saying God is is capable of communicating to you that he wants you, he's for you, he's, he's uh, on your side in the midst of, of trials and chastening and everything else, um, that 
He can remind you what is right for you and the way you can be right with him. And so, again, it's a difficult section to know exactly, but it has to do with the fact that he is for your good. He's working all these things. Whatever is happening in your life, Joel, it's not a... It's not a a case of God being angry at you and punishing you. He's doing what he's doing for your good. So, anyway, then he goes on, verse 27, talking about the person that has experienced this uh, communication from God. He will sing to man and say, I have sinned and perverted what is right, and it was it is not proper for me. He has redeemed my soul from from going to the pit, and my life shall see the light. In other words, the person that God does speak to, in whatever manner he chooses to speak, will see what God has to say, be thankful for what God has done for him, and uh, want to tell other people about it. He will sing to men and say, I have sinned and perverted what is right, but God's redeemed me. God's taken care of me. God's brought me out of it. So he says, Behold, God does all these things oftentimes with men to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of light. He's saying these various means that God's using, he does it to enlighten men that they might have the light of life. So pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Keep silent and let me speak. Then if you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me, keep silent, and I will teach you wisdom. So he's, he's saying, Job, I'm, just, I'm, I'm here to help. I want to help you. These are things that I believe God's shown me, and you need to listen. If you have something to say, say it. Job doesn't say anything. The reason Job, like I said before, the reason Job doesn't say anything is because I think he, something's, he knows he's hearing something different here. He knows there's a, a, this guy, even though he's young, has something to say that's important for him to listen to. So Job doesn't, doesn't speak up, which is different for Job. I think we'll stop there. We didn't get very far, but that's probably enough. Let me just give a few thoughts here in closing. We can say this because of the account of Job, that the, the, the holiest man on earth can yet sin, because he was the holiest man on earth, and he yet sinned. We can also say this. There's more going on in our trials than meet the eye. There's much more going on with Job here than what a person, a casual observer of the fact that here's this man suffering so much, this godly man. There's more going on in our trials than meets the eye. For Job, his suffering was not only the occasion for God to get glory over Satan, which we're told about in chapters 1 and 2. It was also an occasion for God to deepen Job's insight into himself and into God. His insight into himself, he saw that there were things in his life that still needed to be repented of, even though he was righteous and the most righteous man on earth at the time. He, God took him through this to show him that there were things there yet, even though they... They hadn't come out before. They did come out in the midst of suffering. That showed there was still selfishness, there was still pride, there was still a seed of self-righteousness there that needed to be dealt with. There's much more going on. We need to realize that for us, too. 
the trial, there's much more going on than meets the eye. And then I would say this also, although we didn't get into this too much yet, it comes out a lot more in what Elihu has to say. God knows what he's doing with our lives, and he does not have to explain it to us because he's God. So he knows what he's doing, and he doesn't have to explain it to us, and we can't demand God to give us answers, which is what Job did. In various places and various ways he said, you've got to tell me what's going on. God doesn't have to tell us what's going on. A lot of times we couldn't understand it if he did tell us what was going on. And then, uh, it's probably the same way of saying, you know, another way of saying the same thing, we don't call the shots. Job was actually at some places in a place where he was like, like dictating what God should do. We're not in that position. We don't dictate terms to God. We don't call the shots. That's... God's prerogative. So those are uh, some thoughts that come from what Elihu had to say, and maybe we can go on from there next time.